yetu dharmam ritam idam yathoktam parupasate shradadanamat parama bhaktaste tiva me priya those who follow this imperishable path, imperishable path of devotional service and who completely engage themselves with faith, making me the supreme goal, are very, very dear to me. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with a torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. We're going to go jump back to the 13th and 14th verses and read the English. This is a series of verses, including this 12th chapter, wherein the character of someone who's taken to the process of devotional service is explained. One who is not envious, but is a kind friend to all living entities, who does not think himself a proprietor, and is free from false ego, who is equal in both happiness and distress, who is tolerant, always satisfied, self-controlled, and engaged in devotional service with determination, his mind and intelligence fixed on me. Such a devotee of mine is very dear to me. He by whom no one is put into difficulty, and who is not disturbed by anyone, who is equal posed in happiness and distress, fear and anxiety, is very dear to me. My devotee, who is not dependent on the ordinary course of activities, who is pure, expert, without cares, free from all pains, and not striving for some result, is very dear to me. One who neither rejoices nor grieves, who neither laments nor desires, and who renounces both auspicious and inauspicious things, such a devotee is very dear to me. One who is equal to friends and enemies, who is equal posed in honor and dishonor, heat and cold, happiness and distress, fame and infamy, who is always free from contaminating association, always silent and satisfied with anything, who doesn't care for any residence, who is fixed in knowledge and who is engaged in devotional service, such a person is very dear to me. Those who follow this imperishable path of devotional service and who completely engage themselves with faith, making me the supreme goal, are very, very dear to me. Me priyo, tiva me priya, sa me priya, sa me priya, sa me priya. All these verses. Krishna at the end of every every verse here or couplet of verses refers to a devotee as being very dear to him. Imagine the good fortune of such a person who has received such a benediction of being dear to the Supreme Lord. What can stand in your way? If you are dear to him and everything's under his control, then everything everything is all auspicious. Whatever 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 you're engaged in is 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 going to be fruitful. He's going to make sure of it. He's going to care 
Because you're dear to him, he's going to look out and care for you. Now it's important when we when we ref, when we go over these verses here at the end of the twelfth chapter to understand the nature of the characteristics that the Supreme Lord is discussing. These characteristics, and he's mentioned quite a few. In fact, he's repeated some of them a few times uh, just to emphasize the point. Free of false ego, equal in happiness and distress, sukaduka, tolerant, satisfied, self-controlled, working in devotional service, fixed in mind and intelligence, not disturbed by anyone, free from fear, distress, and anxiety. Not dependent on the normal course of activities. Free from all pains. And not striving for some result. No lamentation, no desire. Renounced in both the good that comes and the bad that comes. So many characteristics here. Equal to everybody, friends and enemy. Equal posed in honor and dishonor. Heat and cold, happiness and distress. Fame and infamy. So these characteristics, we must first understand that these are not material characteristics. Now there are material reflections of these characteristics, but these characteristics are in relationship to devotees engaged in the process of pure devotional service. So therefore, they're all on the transcendental platform. Now, we may see them in the mundane world as being anybody that we see who's a saintly, God-minded person. We see these characteristics, their character, these things are prevalent there. But we need to understand that these characteristics, although there may be someone who's not a devotee of the Lord that may be tolerant or merciful or equal equally disposed in in happiness and distress but those characteristics are different than what krishna is speaking of here and that may be hard to understand because naturally you think well if you're tolerant if you're kind if you're merciful all these characteristics we've gone over what's the difference between you're saying well if you're a materialist if you have no devotion to God and you have these characteristics, they're different than, the pe- than people who are devotees of the Lord. So then one needs to look, what is the source of these, partic- these character traits? What is the source of these traits? Now generally, from a materials perspective, one has to go to some effort to attain these characteristics, to, to, to embellish his character with these things. He has to practice tolerance. He has to practice equanimity. He has to practice, he has to control his mind and think about doing these things and then gradually by practice and determination, if he's fortunate, he'll be able to take on the, these, this, this kind of a character. 
The characteristics that are spoken of here are a natural byproduct of being completely devoted to the Supreme Lord. They come, of, they come naturally because they're part of our spiritual character. And the nature of devotional service is as we practice devotional service, as we begin to give up an exploitive mentality and take on a service mentality within our life, and not just service to anybody or anything. Not just service to humanity. Service to humanity, how long is that going to last? We look now, here's a point in time. We look back over the last couple of weeks and a great catastrophes happened in a certain part of the world. And I forget what the count is, but what? 100, 200,000 people have, take, have lost their lives. Many more Thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of people are going to be affected with misery for many months or years to come because of a natural, natural catastrophe. One could think, well, let me go and, and try to remedy this situation. Let me do all that I can. If I'm a government, let me send my military, let, my, 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 let me send my my search and rescue teams and my doctors and, you know, and my humanitarian and all the, all the relief of uh, the Red Cross and let me, you know, send my, my, uh, my uh, hospital boat. You know, <laughs> let me do all that I can to help these people. And that's certainly, you know, that's certainly praiseworthy to try to help people in distress. Any, any human being with common decency is going to do that. They'll do it up to a point. That's a natural thing. But what's the true value of such humanitarian aid? Medical gain. Well, it's nice to help these people. They're in distress. Save a few lives. It's, it's credit in the material world. Yes, it's credit in the material world. And it's not that as a it's not that a devotee of the Lord is not kind-hearted and concerned. But his concern extends not only to the body, but to the body and beyond. Because the body is going to end in a miserable state no matter what you do. No matter what you do for your fellow man on the material plane, eventually he's going to end up in more misery and discomfort and pain and anguish than all the medicine and help that you can possibly throw at him will have any effect. When death comes, there's nothing you or I can do to someone who is on their deathbed. It, it's going to end soon and it's not going to end nicely. That's the nature of this material world. It's going to end, and it's going to end badly. That's this material world. As long as we are attached to this body, as long as our consciousness is attached to my everything that I've accumulated, to my family members, to my offspring, when the devotees of the Lord speak in this way, the materialists say, what a harsh perspective you have. 
well, harsh is one word. How about realistic? I was listening to the radio the other, the other day, and they were talking about death, and they said death is actually a small miracle in its own works. Mm. I find that a rather crude statement, you know, how one can compare death as a miracle. It's a miracle in that at least it ends the current course of suffering. Well, it gives you a little, it gives you a little reprieve. Nine months reprieve. Actually, the interesting thing is, we learn in Bhagavatam, it's only seven months. Really? Yeah. You're more or less unconscious for seven months. The last two months. Yeah. Consciousness begins to, okay. you become aware, and then you're like packed up in this place, and all these little bugs are eating you, and you're aware of it, and it's, and whatever the mother moves this way or that, or eats something that's a little caustic, you're like, whoa, wow, where'd that come from? It's not a pleasurable thing. So much so, it's explained in Srimad Bhagavatam that, and in that two months, you become so distressed. And remember Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita there's four classes of people that approach him. Okay, Those that are in distress, those that want some money, uh, those that are inquisitive, and those that are actually wise. The soul in the womb, the human soul in the womb becomes so distressed that it cries out to God, please get me out of here. Please save me from this misery. You know, it becomes that uncomfortable. And then birth comes. And it's a very traumatic experience. Plume, here you are. <laughs> it's just like death, except it's the other side. And what happens? Immediately all those prayers are forgotten with that first gulp of air. Ah, <gasps> oh, I'm here. And everybody's gathered around and, oh, look, you're so sweet, you're so kind. Here, let me take care of you. Everyone's serving you hand and foot. <laughs> For those first, and it's like, whoa, this is okay. What was I praying about? What was wrong? I can't remember. So that's explained in Bhagavatam. So it's important that we see these, these characteristics that the Supreme Lord is is discussing and the reason that they draw his affection. They make one dear to him. Priya, dear most. They draw Krishna because they're spiritual characteristics. There's nothing on the material plane that can, can attract the Supreme Lord. It's his external potency it's his backside. It's simply made for those people that are, that, that are here to exploit and renounce. That's simply the nature of his... nature of this potency is basically simply for rectification of errant souls. People that don't want to develop their love for the Supreme Lord. He says, fine, let me give you some facility then. Not that I'm going to send you off to be damned forever. There are certain religions that think, oh, well, if you don't make it, that's it. No. 
There's always rectification. It doesn't matter if you if you take just simply a simple circumstance. You have a a father, and this the father has a, a renegade son who's off doing everything wrong. As soon as he gets a little freedom, he does it all wrong. Whether it's you know chase after drugs or women or rob stores or shoot people or bang up cars, he does he just that's the way he is. But once, if he, if, he goes, if he grows out of that stage, the father will always take him back. The love is there. The father will always say, please, come back. That's, of course, the nature of the Supreme Lord. And this material world is a place where he's, he's coming, he's, he's sending his devotees, and he's trying to reclaim fallen conditioned souls. Please, give up this nonsense. You're never going to find any happiness here. You can be the richest, you can be the most famous, the most beautiful, the strongest, the most renounced, most knowledgeable. You can have all these characteristics, but they don't last in the material plane. Similarly, these character traits that are being discussed here, they, can, they exist on the material plane independent of the Supreme Lord and they also exist in the character of the Lord's devotees. Independent of service to the Supreme, their material mundane characteristics that eventually come to an end. In relationship with service to the Supreme, in relationship to pure devotional service, they are transcendental characteristics that are ever-increasing. There's no limit to the tolerance, the mercy, the, the renunciation of Krishna's devotees. It's ever-increasing. These things are ever-increasing because spiritual life is dynamic. It's ever-increasing. I thought I'd relate a little bit from Srimad Bhagavatam as to the nature of a devotee in relating the character of Maharaj Parikshit. Now, Maharaj Parikshit was a descendant of the Pandavas. Bhagavad Gita was spoken on the Battle of Kurukshetra some 5,000 years ago. There were five brothers, one of which was Arjuna, who's on the chariot and asking questions of God because he's in, in a distressful condition. I don't want to fight with my my cousin brothers. I don't want to fight with those people that have taught me. I don't want to fight with I I have I you know I have real respect for these people. Why do I need to fight? And we've gone over that. There was a there was a necessity for the fight. Arjuna had a son by one of his wives. Uh, and his saying, son's name was Abhimanyu. Abhimanyu was also old enough and he was engaged on the battlefield. And he was actually killed on the battlefield. Practically everybody was killed in this great fratricidal war. So also on both sides there was death. It's not that one side went unscathed. <laughs> there was also casualties on Arjuna's side, on the, on the side of the Pandavas. Abhimanyu died, but his wife was carrying a child. One of the soldiers on the opposing side, on the losing side, 
a disciple of, uh, actually the son of Dronacharya, uh, who was the teacher of Arjuna. Uh, all this detailed history is there in the Mahabharata, and it's relayed also in the beginning of Srimad Bhagavatam. Quite amazing, the family relationships and, the, and to read of the character of, of all of these individuals. It's wonderful to see a society that, that holds in esteem true character in the members of the society. Not like today where what's held in esteem is the person who has the most money or the most beautiful wife or acts the name, has the best jobs in Hollywood or... Has the most power. Yeah, so many things. In the time of Kurukshetra, what was, what was the value of a man was his character. So anyway, one of those with lacking character at, after the battlefield. He was very upset. After the battle was over, he was very upset. And back then, the weapons weren't like today's weapons. The weapons were, were primarily controlled by, by mantra, by the mind. Asvatama, who was on the side of the Kuruvas, who who lost the battle, he wanted to do away with the Pandavas. He said, okay, that's fine. Uh, I, want, I want to kill all of them, uh, and particularly their descendants. So Abhimanyu's son in utero was attacked by an atomic weapon, a mantra atomic weapon. What's that mean, mantra atomic weapon? It means that it's not like our modern, modern atomic weapons where you just lop it down on a city and kill everybody. No, it's, it's controlled by mantra and it only kills the individual who you want it to kill. Very refined science, not like today. Asvatama released this weapon in order to kill Maharaj Pariksit who was in the womb of Uttara. And Uttara, of course, was the wife of Abhimanyu, and there, uh, he was killed in the battle. And he was the only descendant of the Pandavas. So the five Pandavas were his, were his father's father. This is Maharaj Pariksit in the womb? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the grandson of Arjuna. Correct. Okay. Uttara runs to Krishna and says, please, please protect me. There's a powerful weapon that, that, that is coming to, to kill my son. And her prayers was, were answered. Krishna actually entered into her womb. He's God. He can become smaller in the smallest or bigger in the biggest. He's not constrained by our limitations. He entered the womb and he counteracted the Brahmastra. And Maharaj Pariksit survived. He was born... He was trained up by his, by Maharaj Yudhisthira, one of the Pandavas, all the Pandavas assisted. And once he was fully capable to take over the kingdom, the Pandavas, they retired. They went off because Krishna was leaving the world. They didn't want to stick around. They wanted to be with Krishna. Anyway, that's a whole other long thing. So Maharaj Pariksit... He took over the rulership of the world. And he has such a great character, such a high character. There's a whole section in the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam where it's explained what he did for the citizens of the world and how he protected the principles of religion. 
how he protected the bull who stands on the four principles of truthfulness, cleanliness, austerity, and mercy, which are the four pillars of religion. So this religion, this, this Krishna consciousness, we're not interested in some sectarian belief. These are simple things. Truthfulness, austerity, cleanliness, and mercy, these apply to all of mankind. It's called Sanatan Dharma. It's the eternal religious principles. So we're not sectarian. It's not that we want everybody to cut their hair and wear a ponytail or dress in a certain way. That may be a certain ritualistic way that the Vaishnav worships the Supreme Lord, but that's not the thrust of this Krishna consciousness movement. We want to do people to purify their existence by taking to this simple process, by fighting off those things that destroy the principles of human decency and spiritual upliftment. Those principles of cleanliness, truthfulness, austerity, and mercy, that's what this Krishna consciousness movement stands on. Maharaj Pariksit, he protected the bull, which represents those. When the bull was being attacked by Kali, the personality, who is the personification of this age of mankind, man. Hmm? Kali is a man, correct? Yes, he was the personification of the age. And is there more information about him? Because I always think of the demigods Kali likes a man. Well, there's there's the also the goddess Kali, mm -hmm. who's, uh, who's a name for Durga, mm -hmm. who is in charge of the material energy. So, yeah, Kali's separate. Kali is the personification of this age of quarrel and hypocrisy. Yes, this can all be found in the, uh, in the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. If you just read the, uh, the different chapter headers in the, in the, in the uh, you know, describing the chapters in first, first canto, you'll come across, you know, the characteristics of karma, of Kali and how he tried to attack uh, Dharma and also Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. He was actually in the process of killing the cow, which represented Mother Earth, taking the life of the final leg of Dharma, which was only standing on one leg. These are symbolic of the nature of this age of Kali. He was, he was such a great ruler. And after that incident, he was out. The king should always go around and make sure that, all, first of all, all the citizens are satisfied and happy in his kingdom, and that there's no wrongdoers. He was out one day, and somehow or other, that somehow or other is by providence, because, of course, he's a pure devotee. A pure devotee would never be affected by hunger or thirst. So he was apparently affected by hunger and thirst, and he came across the cottage, the hermitage of a great sage. And the sage was, was there, but he was in trance. He was, in, he was a great yogi, and he was just completely in samadhi. He, he wasn't even aware that the king entered. Normally, when you receive a guest, you have to offer them a nice place to sit. You have to offer them a greeting, and you should at least give them a little water. This sage was in trance. Those things didn't happen. Maharaj Pariksit apparently became a little disturbed by this. And upon leaving the sage's cottage, he noticed that a, uh, 
a dead snake. And he therefore said, well, the sage has not been very sages to me. He hasn't offered me a nice welcome. Uh, let me garland him with this dead snake. So with his bow, he put the dead snake on, on, uh, around the sage. He left, unsatisfied, still thirsty. He wasn't given any water. He wasn't given a nice place. He wasn't. Just as Arjuna was apparently bewildered, Arjuna is Krishna's pure devotee, the Supreme Lord's eternal associate. Similarly, Maharaj Pariksit was a pure devotee of the Lord. Just as Arjuna was put into distress so that we, future generations of mankind, could receive the instruction of Bhagavad Gita, as Krishna imparted it to Arjuna, similarly, in order for to mankind to get the good instructions of Sukadev Goswami in the form of Srimad Bhagavatam, which is graduate study to Bhagavad Gita, Maharaj Pariksit apparently became hungry and thirsty and went into the sage's hermitage. Frustration, he garlanded it. The sage's son, who was a Brahmin and very powerful, and uh, he found out, he heard of this. And he was a young, inexperienced boy, but he was the son of a powerful sage, and he was being trained himself to be a great mystic yogi. So he had some powers. When he heard that his father was insulted, his name was Shringi, when he heard this, he, he, immediately, he immediately said, oh, what is this? Someone who, who's, who's of a lesser character, who, who's in a lesser position. Now society is generally divided naturally, as Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita. There's the Brahmins, the priestly order. There's the Kshatriyas, who are the, who are the leaders of mankind, the administrative class. There's the Vaishas, the workers, and there's the Sudras. I mean, there's the Vaishas, the mercantile men, the cow people that protect the cow, and there's the Sudras. So Maharaj Pariksit was a Kshatriya, and Shringi's uh, father was, was a uh, Brahmin. How dare a Kshatriya insult the head of society? He thinks that he can come into the presence of, of, of the Brahmins when really he doesn't have the qualification. He spoke in this way and he cursed the king. And he cursed the king to die in seven days. He said in seven days a snake, will, snake bird will come and uh, you'll be consumed. It's, it's poison. will will we'll kill you. So Shringi cursed him? Yes. Cursed Maharaj Pariksit. Now Maharaj Pariksit... Then, of course, the boy, the young boy, he went back to his father and he explained the whole situation. He came into the father's, father's hermitage just crying in anguish to such an extent that he brought his father out of trance. He heard his son and he, immediately, he came back to consciousness, external consciousness, and he, he said, um, what's wrong? And his, his son explained, well, I've, I've cursed the king to die. And his father was, oh my. This is a devotee of the Lord. You've done such a thing. He's the best ruler that this planet could possibly have and you've cursed him. Knowledge of this curse also reached Maharaj Pariksit from, from the father of Shringi. He sent notice, my son's cursed you and, you, and you're to die in seven days. Maharaj Pariksit had such a high character that he immediately took this 
as providence. And he didn't try to counteract the curse. Although he was so he was such a pure devotee, he could have. Just like we see with uh, in the life uh, recently of Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ could have certainly walked away. He certainly did not have to be persecuted on the cross. He was a pure devotee. If he didn't want to, he wouldn't have gone. So similarly, Maharaj Pariksit, he took it as providence and he said, well, this is an ideal opportunity for me. I, I want to take advantage of this and perfect my life and leave this material existence. This has to be ordained for my benefit. When Krishna speaks in these verses about someone which has these qualities, it's this, this detached that, that's not attached. It's, uh, these are very rare characteristics that are only available through the practice of pure devotional service. They come as a natural consequence. They're an offshoot of our true spiritual nature. That's one important thing that we need to see here at the end of this 12th chapter. We need to understand these as devotional characteristics. They're the qualities of a devotee. And they come not through an effort on our part. Of course, naturally you want to be detached, you want to be humble, you want to be, you know, all these things you want, but you don't need to work for them extraneously. You need to, we need to concentrate as devotees on becoming Krishna's pure devotee. We need to concentrate on purifying our heart. If we purify our heart, these things will come through naturally. We don't need to strive for them independent of our spiritual practice. Our spiritual practice, Shravanam Kirtanam Vishnu, hearing and chanting about Krishna, chanting Hare Krishna, associating with devotees, reading Bhagavad Gita, taking Krishna Prashadam, observing festivals in the honor of the Supreme Lord, simple things. These are the things that purify our heart. We don't try, have to try extraneously to be merciful, be tolerant, to be truthful. These things will come naturally. That doesn't mean you neglect them. <laughs> oh, well, Krishna hasn't given this to me yet, so, you know, I can be cruel and mean and, and greedy. No. The devotee has intelligence. But it's not that we concentrate on this. We concentrate on becoming Krishna's pure devotee. Like Krishna says in this last verse, those who follow the imperishable path of devotional service and who completely engage themselves with faith. And then, it's interesting. Here, he talks about the topmost level. Now, all these traits are available in devotees at every level of practice. Even the devotee who is just starting out and has taken shelter of the spiritual master and is beginning his practice. He still may have some bad habits. He still may be, you know, affected in different ways by his conditioning in the material world. But these characteristics naturally develop. But this final verse is talking about that devotee who's attained, he's come beyond, he's, at, he's attained the topmost platform. 
Devotional service is, has three broad categories of practitioners. The, the beginning practitioner, the Kanista, the Madhyamadhikari, the middle platform, and the Uttama Adhikari, the ultimate, the topmost devotee. So you hear about these again and again uh, as we continue to learn about devotional service. The devotee that's not yet steady in his practice. Uh, one, one terminology to such a devotee is sanista. Sanista, not yet at the platform of steadiness. Paranista, the majjam, the middle platform. And the topmost platform we refer to as Uttama Adhikari. It's also refer, referred to as uh, Ripa Peksha. And that's, that's pure devotion. This last verse of the 20th chapter is referring to that devotee. And what's the characteristic? What's the characteristic? Engage themselves with faith completely. Completely. Nothing else is of any interest. They've reached that platform of steadiness and they've gone beyond that steadiness to the platform of complete absorption in simply serving Krishna. Nothing else is of any significance. Just like Maharaj Parikshit, he saw that his position in the world, even being such a pure devotee, saintly king, he saw that even that service to humanity had some downside in that it didn't completely immerse him 100% in pure devotional service. He, he still had to work and deal in the world. Therefore, he was willing to accept the curse of Shringi as a blessing and give up all material engagement and simply engage 24 hours a day. He didn't sleep. He didn't eat for this seven-day period. I don't even believe he took water. He simply listened. Shravanam Kirtanam. He simply heard from Sukadev Goswami about the process of pure unalloyed devotional service. And he inquired from him, how can I perfect my existence so I'm not going to be forced again into the womb. How I'm not going to be forced to take birth again in this material world and suffer. I simply want to go back and live with the Supreme Lord in loving exchange. So therefore, you tell me how that can do, how I can do that. This platform here in the final verse that we chanted, of being completely engaged. And then Krishna gives a little, a little. Although in all the verses we read tonight, all these different, all the different character traits of Krishna's devotee in all the platform, the beginning, the middle, and the most advanced stage. In this one, he refers to such a devotee that's completely engaged as very, very dear to me. Superlative, topmost platform. This day, Nichananda's appearance day, is, is a grand day for us because in appreciating the position of Sri Nichananda, we can attain 
the topmost platform of devotional practice. There is no way that we can enter into the topmost relishable position of Nityananda without his grace. Nitya. What's Nitya mean? Eternal. Eternal. Ananda? Bliss. Nityananda. Eternal bliss. If we want to enter the, the platform of eternal bliss, Nityananda, then we have to receive the mercy of Nityananda. Nityananda is the pastime manifestation of Lord Balaram, Lord Krishna's counterpart. We could get into some very detailed es esoteric discussion of the position of Nityananda, but I'm just going to go over a couple things to give us, give us a glimpse as to his divine position. Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita explains the Lord as, uh, as manifest in five primary features. One of those features is Lord Balarab, Nityananda. Everything that we experience in the material world is coming from his energy. Balaram, of course, Bala means strength. Lord Balaram, Krishna's counterpart, is, is in Leela, uh, the Supreme Lord's brother. And uh, when Lord, the Supreme Lord comes in Kali Yuga to spread the glories of the Holy Name, his brother comes as Lord Nityananda. Lord Nityananda is the supreme personality of servitor Godhead. He's God, but he's God in the fact that he continually, everything that he does is service to Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Uh, so these esoteric points are, are explained there to understand the nature of the Supreme Lord in his manifest potencies. Lord Nityananda is the first expansion of the Supreme Lord. He presides over all the Vaikuntha planets as uh, Sankarshan. He manifests the material universe in his expansion as Karnadakshai Vishnu, the original Vishnu who lies down in the causal ocean of material ingredients from whose body all the various universes come forth. Lord Nityananda enters into all those universes as Garbhodakshai Vishnu, from whose belly sprouts a lotus flower, upon which Lord Brahma uh, manifests all of the various creation within every each, each and every universe. Lord Nityananda enters into the heart of every living entity within every universe, as uh, Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu, another manifestation of Lord Vishnu. Uh, he, is the, he is the transcendental abode of the Supreme Lord as Seishanaga, as the resting place of the Lord. He is all the paraphernalia in the Lord's transcendental pastimes. Lord Nityananda's position, we, we could not speak enough of the glories of Nityananda. But what's most significant for us at this stage in our devotional life is to understand that the 
potency of the bona fide spiritual master, the potency of the spiritual master is coming via the grace of Lord Nityananda. Lord Nityananda's spiritual strength as exhibited through Krishna's pure devotees is that force by which we can take to and advance in devotional service. Without that spiritual potency, without that spiritual energy of Lord Nityananda, there would be no possibility of taking shelter of the bona fide spiritual master. He gives us the, the intelligence to recognize and surrender to the spiritual master and by his potency, the spiritual master is also there, his external manifestation. So I thought uh, there's, a four, there's a four verse song composed by Nartam Das Thakur. It's called Nityananda Nista. Faith in Lord Nityananda. And I thought I'd just relate those four verses. This is on page 101. Nityapada Kamala Koti Chandra Samsitala Yechayaya Jagata Jadaya He no Nitai Vini Bai Radha Krishna Pati Nai Drida Kori Dara Nitara Pai. The lotus feet of Lord Nichananda are the shelter where one will get the soothing moonlight, not only of one, but of millions of moons. If the world wants to have real peace, and is there anyone here that's not looking for peace? <laughs> if the world wants to have real peace, it should take shelter of Lord Nichananda. That is very emphatic. Unless one takes shelter under the shade of the lotus feet of Lord Nityananda, it will be very difficult for him to approach Radha Krishna. If one actually wants to enter into the dancing party of Radha Krishna, he must firmly catch hold of the lotus feet of Lord Nityananda. Anyone who has not established his relationship with Nityananda Prabhu Again, remember, Nityananda Prabhu is the his external manifestation with whom we relate is the spiritual master. Anyone who has not established a relationship with Nityananda Prabhu is understood to have spoiled his valuable human birth. Such a human being is actually an uncontrollable animal. Such a strong statement. But before we become critical, just think. If we think of those people who have come to the human form of life and are not using it to benefit themselves spiritually, what's the distinction between animal life and human life? The animal's prime objectives are eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. We may do all those things in a cultured way. Does that make us a human being? 
Eating, sleeping, mating, and defending are there in the animal life and also in our life. If the objectives of our life are simply to eat better, sleep better, have better sex life, and defend ourselves with all the weapons of the world, then what's the distinction? Have we really come to the human form of life? The human form of life begins when we inquire into our true spiritual self. What, what brought me to this position, this environment that I'm in now? What brought me here? What is my true nature? That's human life. Naratom Dastakori is making it very clear here. Such a human being is actually an uncontrollable animal because he never uttered the holy name of Nichananda. He has become merged into so-called material happiness. What can his useless education and family tradition do to help him? Your education, your family will not help you at the time of death. But the lotus feet of the spiritual master, the spiritual strength of Lord Nichananda, that could protect you. Being maddened after false prestige and identification with the body, one is thinking, oh, what is Nichananda? What can he do for me? I don't care. The result is that he is accepting something false to be true. He's accepting the fact that he can be happy in this world. It's a misconception. It's never going to happen. Maybe a little happiness, but then there's distress. It's not Nichananda. What's Nitya? Eternal? What? Ananda. Any happiness in this world is false happiness. Temporary. The result is that he is accepting something false to be true. If you actually want to approach the association of Radha Krishna, you must first achieve the mercy of Lord Nityananda. When he is merciful towards you, then you will be able to approach Radha Krishna. Therefore, you should firmly grasp the lotus feet of Lord Nityananda. The lotus feet of Nityananda are not illusory. They are a fact. One who engages in the transcendental loving service of Nichananda is also transcendental. Always try to catch the lotus feet of Lord Nichananda. This Naratam Das is very unhappy. Therefore, I am praying to Lord Nichananda to make me happy. My dear Lord, please keep me close to your lotus feet. So as devotees, our aspiration is to acquire a position in that topmost realm of transcendental enjoyment where the Supreme Lord's topmost servitor, Shumati Radharani, reigns supreme. That's our aspiration. Our spiritual aspiration is that, to enter into that plane in any position even a speck of dust on that transcendental plane exceeds all that we can possibly 
acquire and enjoy in this world of birth and death. There is no comparison. So the lowest position in that transcendental realm of perfect service to the Supreme Lord under the direction of his topmost servitor, Srimati Radharani, which is being spoken of in, the, in these prayers. That, that's what we aspire to. The lowest position there. That's our aspiration. That position in that realm of Goloka Vrindavan, wherein Radha Krishna dance eternally in loving exchange, to assist them in any way, that's the perfection of devotional practice. That perfection is only available by the mercy of Lord Nityananda. Only by His picking us up with the spiritual strength to give up mundane existence, to give up our exploitive mentality. Only by His mercy, as manifest to us, through the direction of the bona fide spiritual master, who is his representative. This is our only hope to attain that topmost platform. So therefore, this day is very auspicious for us. And we uh, glorify Lord Nityananda on his appearance. We pray to Lord Nityananda every day. Uh, to please assist us and give us the spiritual strength to shake off mundane desire and follow perfectly the instructions of our spiritual master. And by doing so, then our path is, is clear. There'll be no impediment. Otherwise, we'll simply quit this body like a worthless animal. No value. Wasted. No value to this human form. So, we can take advantage today. Lord Nityananda is the supreme embodiment of mercy. In the past times of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he exhibited his mercy in the fact that he delivered the lowest of mankind in his transcendental leela. He delivered Jagai and Madai. And that's another story. But I've already gone well over my time. So take advantage of uh, Lord Nityananda's mercy. Follow the directions of the spiritual master. Your life will be perfect in no time. Thank you very much. Any questions? I, I have a comment and a question. Um, it seems that if Maharaj Pradakshit had not gotten the curse, there would have been no Srimad Bhagavatam. Mm -hmm. Because the whole conversation is Sukadeva, right? Correct. Yeah. Just occurred to me while you were talking about it. <laughs> so there was. So therefore, a king, a devotee king right. of such a high character who would under normal circumstance never be affected by fatigue and thirst, right. was apparently affected by fatigue and thirst. Mm -hmm. Just as Arjuna was apparently affected, although he was a pure devotee, by bewilderment and yeah. attachment to family 
and friends before the battle of Kurukshetra. Right, right. Such transcendental personalities are the Lord's eternal associates. Uh, they're not affected by these things. But in order to uh, assist us, then Krishna, he has his leela, his transcendental play. And then my other thing was a question. You had mentioned uh, that death is described. Do you know what canto that is in? Mm -hmm. About death, you, you started out uh, very early on talking about that moment of death, during death that we're conscious of it, and it, that is described in Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, birth. We were talking about birth. Oh, well, okay. Being in the womb. Okay. Uh, I thought you were describing birth or death or being eaten away. Or at some point that I was eaten away. Maybe I lost. It's okay. That was in the womb. I think it was. That was what? It's just the reverse side. I can't remember what canto the, uh, the child in the womb is, is fully described in. Can you remember? Yeah. It is not pleasant. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah. Anything else? But there is also a description of, of what happens in the moment of death. Uh, there, there is in Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, Fifth canto. I don't remember which canto, you know, but, uh, but there is, you know, the symptoms, what you're experiencing when your, your soul leaves the body. So. I believe that's in, the, in relationship to the story of uh, uh, Ajamil. Is that where it is? So you've come to that place yet in Bhagavatam, Ajamil? I don't think so. What, okay. Do you know what canto that's in? Six Well, okay, then I did. Okay. okay. Ajamil, when he's being ripped out of his body. Oh, uh, yes, 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 okay. right, right, right. Right. Oh, sixth canto. Right, I remember. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> oh, it is? Well, he <laughs> calls the name of the Lord and the two, and the two, the two different That what happened is cool, yes. They, yeah. But his death wasn't that cool. <laughs> well, yeah, but the result was cool. Yeah, that's and right. He got saved. So, yes. I you can uh, marry some pastimes, but look, you cannot have like a mission about your mother because we need like seven more minutes. That would be nice. I can relate the pastimes. Nityananda is, during his pastimes, was, of course, he delivered Jagai and Marai. During the pastimes of Lord Chaitanya's Sankirtan, he would send devotees out to, uh, to of course, preach to people and, and try to get them to take shelter of the holy name. So he sent out uh, uh, Lord Nityananda and, I believe, Haridas Thakur to, to preach Krishna consciousness. And they actually went to the home of Jagai and Made, who were drunkards debauches. They were worse than that, actually. They were, they were, they, they killed cows, they killed women, they killed children, uh, they raped women, they were just, they were like the, the worst that we see in modern society today, they were that, all that. Were they Asuras, per se, or? Yeah, you could definitely, they were demonic, yeah, yeah they were demoniac, they were just, you know, gross materialists that would do anything uh, for their senses. So they were actually resting. They were actually resting, and uh, 
the Kirtan party, the Sankirtan party of uh, of uh, Nichananda and uh, Haridas Thakur, uh, was such that it uh, woke them up, and they immediately exited uh, uh, and came out, and, and uh, they were extremely mad. Why have you woken us up? They became so belligerent that they uh, they threw uh, an earthen pot at Lord. Nichananda and and uh, it struck him in the head. He was bleeding, and knowledge of this came back to uh, Lord Chaitanya, who immediately came to the spot. Immediately came to the spot, and he uh, he immediately wanted to kill Jagai and Madai. And Lord Nichananda, even though he was hit on the head, he he in bleeding, he said he reminded Lord Chaitanya. No, this is your age of compassion. Your your weapon in this age is Harinam Sankirtan, the congregational chanting of Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So you can't kill them. Otherwise your mission will be foiled. <laughs> we have to deliver them. Lord Chaitanya refrained from, from uh, actually killing them at that time and uh, they Jagai and Madai saw the errors of their ways and actually took to the process of devotional service where ultimately uh, they became devotees uh, at the time of their initiation uh, when Lord Chaitanya took their uh, sinful reactions and this is Krishna this is the Supreme Lord and of course, the Supreme Lord had come, and as Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, with the complexion of Srimati Radharani, his topmost lover. Uh, in that uh, complexion, he has a he's golden gora. When he took the reactions of Madai, he turned black for a very short time. That's how sinful he he was. He took on the prana for his sins. Yeah. Of course, he's God. He can burn off the planet. But just to exemplify for us how sinful Jagai and Madai were, his complexion actually changed. And they were so they were so repentant. They were they had become such devotees, just like Maharaj Pariksit. When a devotee comes to that level of uh, repentance, uh, he doesn't want anybody to suffer for, for his reaction. Rather, he'd rather suffer himself. Uh, but Nichinanda was kind of a, a transcendental uh, madman. Uh, he's uh, he's also Lord Balaram. Sometimes he 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 doesn't. S- the Supreme Lord and his immediate expansion sometimes don't see eye to eye on everything. The battlefield of Kuru- during the battle of Kurukshetra, uh, Lord Balaram was was not in favor of the battle. I can't think off the top of my head. It's not in the Gita. No, uh, it's actually in Srimad Bhagavatam. He actually he went on pilgrimage during the Battle of Kurukshetra. Oh. Uh, so, similarly, uh, Lord Nityananda, he he wasn't really he didn't like the fact that that Lord Chaitanya. Uh, was carrying a danda like a traditional sannyasi. And he broke his danda at one point. That's one of the pastimes. Mm. So, anything else? <laughs>